Hey everyone, this is Neil Evans, Associate Director of Digital Communications at Phillips Academy. And on today's episode of Every Quarter, I talk with Anjali Sood. She is the CEO of Vimeo and a member of Andover's class of 2001. We talk about uh, her journey to Andover, what she called an experiment, and an interesting story there. Uh, then we get into some industry trends, how she likes to consume video. We then sort of end on a fun note, talking a little bit about Game of Thrones. No spoilers, so uh, have fun with that. And uh, this is just a really great conversation. She did say that uh, some of these questions were the best she's ever had. So, you know, humble brag, but uh, I think it's worth the listen. We hope you enjoy. Welcome, Anjali Sood. This Thank is every you. Quarter. Thanks for coming. It is really great to be back. So uh, talk to me about that a little bit. Uh your origin story at PA is interesting. I've, I've heard the story a little bit, but uh, talk to me about sort of your dad going to a bookstore and then the experiment, as you call it, yeah. of coming to Andover a little bit. Yeah. I mean, so I, um, I grew up in Flint, Michigan, and I, my parents are immigrants from India, so I, I, they didn't really understand what a prep school was, and I, neither did I. Um, and I was at a Barnes and Nobles, which I don't even know if half of the student body here even knows what that is anymore. Um, but I was at a Barnes and Nobles bookstore, and I uh, just saw we passed by a book on the best schools in America. And I just started reading about it, and I thought, well, it would be kind of fun to just apply to some and see. Um, and I applied to a ton of schools, everything from military academy to an all-girls school to Andover, without really realizing um, that I was applying to like the best school in the country. <laughs> and um, and then when I got in, uh, we did a little road trip, and I remember walking onto this campus and just being blown away. I'd never seen so much space. I'd never seen any institution that had like their own museum, <laughs> you know. Um, and so it was. It was really um, humbling and felt like an opportunity that I couldn't uh, miss. And it was hard. I think I, you know, it wasn't one of those things where people in my town were going to prep schools and boarding schools. So everyone thought I was a problem child. And my parents were sending me away. Um, and I was scared. Uh, but it was just such a unique opportunity for me that um, my parents were really supportive. And so I did it. Cool. So what are some of your, what are the memories that come flooding back to you now that, from your time here? Oh, man, so many. Um, yeah, most of them are honestly just dorm life. You know, I was a boarder for four years. Um, I was in Pine Knoll the entire time. I was in okay. Nathan Hale and then Stimson. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, you're when you're 14 and you're going through probably the most awkward <laughs> time of your life, um, you really rely on your friends. Um, and at Andover, your friends feel even more like family. Um, and so for me, a lot of the moments are, you know, late nights with popcorn um, in the common area talking about boys. <laughs> um, or uh, we used to watch, there's like a BBC version of Pride and Prejudice that's like seven hours long. And I think probably we watched that like seven times a year <laughs> instead of studying. Um, and so, yeah, those are probably my most vivid memories. Mm. Uh, even when we were driving up, though, it's just like seeing the Great Lawn and seeing a lot of the buildings that I spent time in. It's still to this day, it's crazy. I feel like I'm right back to 14-year-old me right now. And I was like really intimidated as we were driving in campus. Oh, I'm no. like, whoa, this is crazy. I can't believe I went here for four years. Um, but it feels good. Great. Uh, so after Andover, you go to Wharton. Uh, you 
try to be an investment banker yes, for a little bit. Yes. Uh, you've had stints at Amazon, Time Warner, and now Vimeo. I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about sort of the nonlinear career path yeah. and sort of the benefit of just throwing yourself out of your comfort zone yeah. professionally. Yeah, so, you know, part of it for me was explicit in that I always wanted to be – I had this idea, like, I want to be a leader in business and – um, you know, to, to do that, I have to be a really good decision maker. And to be a good decision maker, I need to experience a lot of different functions and jobs. And the more diverse my experience, the better decision maker I can be because I'll be used to, you know, new information and new perspectives. And so I did, I was very comfortable kind of moving around a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, I could say I'm an investment banker, but now I want to go and do um, you know, I want to go to Amazon and, and be a toy buyer. Um, and so I, uh, that was somewhat explicit. There was also a big piece of it, though, that was just I didn't know what I wanted to do, you know, and I didn't know what I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's an important thing because for so much of my 20s, I felt a little bit lost and that it was going to hurt me that I didn't have this exact path. I know I want to do this and this is the job I need to go to and then this is the role I'm going to get. I think a lot of young people struggle with that. Um, and I think it's what I've experienced in my career is as long as you're learning, as long as you're pushing yourself, um, you know, you don't have to have a super linear path to still end up in the place you want to be. For me, I, um, you know, I'm in my dream job and it much earlier than I thought I would. And if you would asked me five years ago, even probably three years ago, I never would have told you that that was where I was going to be. And so hopefully I think my, what my experience can sort of indicate is that you can, you can shape your career at any point. It's not predetermined. Um, it's not set from decisions you made in, you know, when you're 14 or mm-hmm. when you're 18, um, as long as you learn and you put yourself in situations where you're always being better. So you talk about decision making and becoming that as a skill. Uh, you've had to do that quite a bit as your as a CEO of Vimeo. Um, in your first ninety days, I saw you do a little talk about that, and uh, you make a massive strategic decision to stop uh, investing in original content. Yeah. Uh, you then acquire Livestream. Yeah. And then sort of become pivot a little bit to the SaaS software as a service model. Yep. Uh, this is a lot. Yeah. All at once. Yeah. And I think I like love what you said about, you know, rip the band-aid off. Do it quick, change fast and quickly. Uh, how do you think that first, you know, two years now almost has changed you as a leader? Yeah. Um, and how do you think the guiding mission and vision and values of Vimeo has really helped steer that? Yeah. Um so I think in the last two years, um, you know, we've, we've really doubled down on the shift in strategy. Uh, and I think that's, it's good. You know, change is important. And to, when you know, when you have a vision or a view of like, and validation that you're going in the right direction, the best thing is to rip off the Band-Aid. The last thing you want to do is drag out a change. But you also don't just change for change's sake. Change mm-hmm. can be quite disruptive for an organization. And, in fact, for me, I think, you know, the first 90 days, and even the first probably six months 
Um, it was a lot of change. And then really my goal over the last year has been stability. Right. You know, it's, it's, we've, we've repositioned ourselves as a platform and our mission has changed. We exist to serve video creators with tools and technology. We're not a media company. We're not an entertainment destination. And now it's really about, um, providing stability to the teams and to our users and that the world, when they know what Vimeo stands for as a brand, it's consistent. Mm. Um, and so actually my focus really um, in the last year has been uh, just constantly making sure every decision that we make, every investment that we make, every message that we put out in the world is consistent with that mission um, and that we're just going deeper and deeper and deeper in that um, strategy. So, you know, I, for me, I think is really important for leaders to be comfortable in sh with change, especially in the technology industry where, you know, it's these, it, these are industries that are still in some ways forming and they're changing. There's massive disruption constantly, but disruption in business model, disruption in technology, um, disruption in what your users are looking for and what their expectations are. So you have to be fluid, but you also can't be... Um, you know, so you can't always be hedging your bets and just changing all the time. Um, and so I think we've tried to balance that well. And really what I'm, what I always look at now is are we, we know, we've known now for some time, this is what we stand for. So what are we doing every day to really back that up? Excellent. So walk me through a typical day as a CEO of Vimeo. It's, you know, uh, how, how you, how you spending that time? Yeah. You know. Uh, the best part about my job is, and everyone says this, there is no typical day. It's true. It really is true. Um, I think if I were to describe it generally, I spend – it's funny. Before I became CEO, I was, I was running one of the businesses and actually really missed that time because I spent mm -hmm. almost all of my time with the team in the day-to-day you know, we're whiteboarding in meetings, we're building things, we're um, planning, um, we're gathering as a group. The reality is today as CEO, I don't spend a lot of time on that stuff. I spend a lot more time um, externally, you know, talking to our users, talking to investors, talking to um, the press, telling the story externally of what Vimeo is. And it, it's an important part of my job. Um, we as a platform have been around for 15 years. So, you, you know, and we only changed our strategy two years ago. So you have 13 years of sort of uh, brand equity that everyone associates Vimeo as a place to watch videos um, and sort of a competitor to YouTube. Whereas now we're really, that's not what we are. We're a technology platform for creators. We actually partner with YouTube and with other social media platforms. And so I spend a lot of my time um, sort of externally out there talking about that. And then the other thing is it's really important for me to be forward looking. And it means I have to have a really good pulse on what's happening in the industry. So I spend a lot of time talking to other companies in the industry, meeting with um, startups that are doing interesting technologies, going all around the world and trying to understand um, sort of where is video technology going in the future and who are some of the people and companies who are pushing the boundaries there. Um, so that we, Vimeo, are always sort of staying relevant and ideally ahead of the curve. Great. Uh, around the same time that uh, Vimeo decided to drop the original content, there was a lot in the news about the pivot to video and news organizations sort of going that direction. But it turned out sort of like Facebook ran into some trouble with metrics. And I'm wondering sort of your perspective on that and how, if if Vimeo was affected, but also 
you spoke to it a little bit. How does a technology company keep pace with trends and just the speed of business these days? Yeah. Um, well, I, I'd say generally Vimeo hasn't been super impacted by the same challenges that I think a lot of uh, user-generated content, like social media platforms mm -hmm. have, like the Twitters and the Facebooks of the world. Um, and it's because our business model is different mm -hmm. and we aren't advertising-based and so we don't have like this constant influx of tons of content that puts a sort of uh, onus on us to manage and monitor and it and so we just don't have the same exact dynamics. So the con typically we have a, most of the people putting their content on Vimeo, it's, they're professionals. They're filmmakers or videographers or agencies or businesses and so the kind of content and the problems associated with that are a bit different. So I think in some ways we've been fortunate mm -hmm. to have to avoid some of the challenges that those platforms have. Um, I think Look, we live in a we live in a very different world where data and information is everywhere, and there is a lot, a very few number of platforms, technology platforms, have a lot of responsibility that isn't um, naturally sort of baked into their business model. Mm -hmm. um, and so, I think we are living in a world where the role as leaders of those platforms. Um, the role we have to play is a little bit different than the way we've thought about business in the past. I've always believed that you know businesses have an incredible opportunity to impact their communities as well as a responsibility. And I think that as tech technology is just gonna keep making it easier. It's just gonna keep opening up um, the kind of data and information that platforms have access to. And the temptation of what to do with that information will just get it'll become more tempting. So yeah. I think, um, I do think there needs to be the right checks and balances, whether that's from the corporate side or the regulatory side or both, uh, probably both. Um, there needs to be more checks and balances there to make sure that everyone's incentives are aligned. Yeah, I think what also sets me apart is a lot of the the technology behind it, the advanced analytics and sort of that, the embracing of the creators. Um, how do you sort of balance feedback from that community, oh, we'd love this feature, we'd love that feature, and sort of curtailing strategy that way versus yeah. like running a business. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I our sort of mantra is creator first, right? Mm -hmm. Every decision we make is through the lens of um, what's right for the creator. And we do that because we believe that if we put the creator first, then that's the right thing for our business. And so what that means is we are actually very driven in our decisions around what is what our users are looking for. The thing I'll say, and we, you know, we speak to users all the time through surveys, through user testing, through conferences, through panels. Um, we have tons of real-time data around what features people are actually utilizing on the platform. So we have plenty of signals that we can use to make decisions. I actually think one of the most challenging um, things about being a technology company is you also don't want to just build only what your users are asking for because often they don't, they, they aren't thinking about the future. And so, um, you know, our job is actually not necessarily to ask them explicitly, what do you want, and then just build it. Our job is to develop deep empathy for the problems that exist that they um, are struggling with, and then to find fundamentally new solutions that they may not have even have th thought of. And, um, you know, I always use the analogy of uh, the website builder market. So, you know, 10 years ago, 
the idea that like any small business could have their own website was insane. I mean, you would have to hire a team of developers and it would be hundreds of thousands of dollars to have your own website. And then companies like Squarespace and Wix and GoDaddy came along and now anyone for a very you know manageable amount of money can build their own website in an hour. And I think what Vimeo is trying to do is make it so in a couple years, anyone can have a successful video strategy using professional quality video and tell amazing stories and communicate with their audiences with video in as easy a way um, in, and in a much more accessible way. And so for us to solve that, you know, we won't get there if we just ask our users, what feature do you want? And we build it. We have to do that. But we also have to really think um, a couple years out about things they might not imagine are possible. Yeah, cool. Uh, you touched on a little bit about how um, the strategy has shifted where um, a company like YouTube or Facebook is not a competitor. Yeah. They're now a partner. Yeah. And you've introduced a single stream you know, publishing for that. Uh, talk to me about how that came about and, uh, you know, how it positions you to um, be a distributor rather than uh, the attention economy of trying to yeah. draw the eyeballs away from them. Yeah. Um, you know, it, that one was one where it was, it was very user-driven as well as, again, like understanding what's happening in the industry. So the number one question I would get, um, and, and it's funny, sometimes I still get it, but the number one question I would get from users, from creators on the platform is, was where do I put my video, YouTube or Vimeo? Mm -hmm. And, you know, as a marketer, I, I had a marketing background. As a marketer, I know that you should never only put your, if you want to get an audience on the internet, we're, we're all users of the internet. We're everywhere, we're, right? We're on multiple social platforms. We're on websites. We're not in one place. And so, you know, I kind of knew and it sort of connected for me that as a marketer, like I would never tell my team only put your video on one platform. So why were we creating, like why was there this, this dynamic that you would put it, you'd put your videos on one platform? And I, it sort of just, it became clear that the reason for that is that so many platforms are ad supported, which means they make their money through the eyeballs and that are on their platform. So they always want to keep the content on their platform. And at one point, Vimeo, we had thought about that. You know, we had explored what would, you know, maybe we should invest in content and then we can get keep eyeballs on our platform. And so I think, you know, this was a perfect example of when you just put on that lens of, okay, well, if I'm a creator and I want to get an audience, where is my audience? My audience is everywhere. Mm. My videos should be everywhere. And we, why is that so hard? The technology is easy. It's a relatively simple thing to allow one-click native distribution. But why doesn't exist, it exist yet? Oh, because the platforms that could build it have no incentive to. Mm. And I think it became clear then that Vimeo, as in not being ad-supported with our SaaS model, um, we could do that. And we could probably do it in a way that would really add a lot of value. And by the way, that's good for the social platforms. Because now, if you're YouTube, you're getting more content from Vimeo creators. Um, and that's good for them. Mm. So um, it's a really awesome thing when you can find, this doesn't happen often, but it's mm. awesome when you can find opportunities to take things that feel like um, it's a trade-off or you're, you're kind of fighting for a piece of a pie and you can kind of flip the script 
and suddenly the pie just gets bigger for everyone. And I do think that this is an example where making distribution easier means more creators succeed with video, which means more content gets made, which is good for the destinations as well. Uh, I think I've read some stats that uh, 80% of all consumer traffic is via video. Uh, the average person spends 90 minutes a day watching video. We've heard anecdotally from students in our own sort of focus groups that they're on YouTube, they're on these platforms, or all they want is video, 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 video. Um, I'm curious, how much video do you watch a day? <laughs> <laughs> and what are your, some of your favorite shows that oh, you're watching? Oh, man. Now? Oh, yeah, good question. Um, you know, I, I'm i probably in that average. I watch a lot of video. Um, and it's not just for entertainment purposes. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm watching video for education and learning experiences. I consume a lot of news and other things using video. Um, we, It's funny, at Vimeo, we... Uh, we live stream all of our meetings and meetups and all hands because mm. um, we have offices around the world and it's really important for everyone to feel in touch in real time. So even at work, you know, there's yeah. there's some video component usually. Um, and then of course, you know, for me, I am uh, I I love I love uh, entertainment content. Um, I am, I've cut the cord, so I'm, you know, fully sort of on the, I've got all the streaming services, sure. I've got my Amazon and my Hulu and my um, and my Netflix, uh, and I do, I am, it's somewhat a shame to admit, I do watch a lot of, a lot of TV. Uh, right now, I mean, this is, is so cliche, but of course I'm watching Game of Thrones right now. Okay. Um, that's a big one. My my husband and I are, you know, Sunday night, we're there. We're, we're all in. I, I will admit to the podcast audience, <laughs> I have never seen an episode of Game of Thrones. Wow. I, I just, I don't have HBO and I never became a thing. That's amazing. I, I'm, I'm aware of it in the zeitgeist, but... Yeah. Yeah. I I am um I will admit that I have always been a little bit of like a sci fi fantasy buff. So I'm like that person that I read all the books years okay. ago and I went really deep. So <laughs> um so that's that's what I'm doing right now. But I would say uh I I there's tons of different um shows and genres that I really like and for me it's um it's funny, you know, I, people always ask like what's your like life work life hack you know and um and for me actually like the the suspension of reality i get from from watching tv and getting immersed in another mm -hmm. world or in another story is actually incredibly de-stressing um and it's actually something that i do find like quite it like really helps me stay sort of grounded and, and calm in my own professional life excellent How'd you feel about the the big murder that happened? Spoiler alert! I know. I feel like this is a big spoiler alert. I don't. I don't really want to. I don't want right, to add sorry. anything to the spoiler alert. But I will say the last episode was really, really good. So if you haven't, you should check it out. I think we're safe. We'll be fine. Um, so you mentioned Vimeo is almost 15 years old. Yeah. YouTube was in 2005. I'm assuming you were in college right around this time, <laughs> yes. a little shortly thereafter. Yes. Um, I guess, how has your relationship with video evolved? You know, how did you first experience it? Do you, do you remember, like, the first viral video? I mean, is that, like, I mean, it, we're sort of the sim similar age. Yeah. And we kind of, it's something we've grown up with. Yeah. And now it's a totally different thing and yeah. taken know, over. I think it's a great question. Um, it's funny. I think the way it's evolved for me is, it. Oh, for me, video was always on two very 
uh, two very distinct extremes. There was like very high quality cinematic, you know, box office content that I would watch. And then there was like the really, really funny viral cat video that my friend would send me on YouTube. (laughs) Um, And like those, you know, and so it was either a two hour like cinematic experience with surround sound in like a, you know, a very optimized environment or it was like hilarious 10 second soundbite, you know, mm-hmm. levity in my day. Um, and I think what's, what has absolutely evolved for me and I think for everyone is there's been sort of a, like th- there's this whole other spectrum of video now. Um, and what I think you're seeing is actually a meeting in the middle where the quality of the storytelling is the, the cinematic storytelling, narrative storytelling is actually becoming much more accessible to a lot more types of companies and businesses and people, right? And then at the same time, the the form of video being short form, it being consumed on social media is going up. And so I I think what you're actually going to start seeing and what I see is I now consume really powerful stories that are beautifully told but that are often only 30 or 45 seconds on my phone, you know, while multitasking and doing something else. And it's a really interesting thing. And I don't know how sustainable it is, but I think what you're seeing is it's just it, the, the barriers to quality storytelling are, you know, going down because technology is making it easier and less expensive to create those stories. And then our, our audiences, we as consumers, our attention spans are just getting shorter and shorter. And, um, and so, you know, the, the way, the sort of context in which we consume is different. And I think that you'll probably see that continue. Um, and I, I think it's not a bad thing as long as the message and the story that people want to tell is still, is still able to get out there. And what's great about video is it's such a immersive format that you, I think you can do it. Uh, you're back on campus tonight yeah. to speak to some seniors. Um, last question would be, what are you hoping to impart for some wisdom as they head out <laughs> to commencement and yeah. beyond? Um, I, it's funny. I, I, I had this, I was like, oh, I have, to, I have to have like this one piece of like amazing groundbreaking advice for these seniors. And then I was like, I don't, I mean, I've, I don't know that I, I have anything groundbreaking. But, you know, I actually think that the number one thing I'd really want to want seniors of Andover know is because I because I remember being there I remember like you get through co- you get through high school and you're about to go off into the world and you're just like excited but you're scared and you're you know you feel like there's so much opportunity but you also feel like there's so much on your shoulders and probably the biggest piece of advice I'd want to give is you got this um, because Andover has prepared you well and I, w- I would want every senior to just have the confidence to know that they're entering the world um, so prepared and so fortunate and that they can do anything. And I really, I didn't feel that way when I was going to college. Um, and now at 35 years old, I look back and I see it. Um, and so I, I just would want them to relax and be excited and enjoy this very, very special and wonderful time in their lives and have the confidence to know that they can do anything and they have all the tools uh, and the world is just waiting for them. That's a great note to go down. Thank you, Anjali. Thank you. Every Quarter is produced by the Office of Communication at Phillips Academy in Andover. The show is made possible by a grant from the Abbott Academy Fund, 
continuing Abbott's tradition of boldness, innovation, and caring.